Hi, this is Valerie Hughes. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed your call. That is totally all right. I'm I'm thrilled to be able to speak to you at all because I'm sure right now you're you're not sitting around watching TV. No, no, not. I'm working, working, working. So. Um, this is Jay, correct? This is Jay Michaels, and okay. as we are speaking, you are now on the air, or at least being recorded. Okay. Um, oh, thank you so much for taking some time to speak to me. Uh, I, I spoke to your colleague yesterday, and, and it was the most illuminating 20 minutes of my life. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. How is everything going with you? Very well, thank you. And how about with you? So far, so good. Uh, um... I'm I'm a bit stir crazy, and I've I've transformed. Uh, my my wife and I are trying to figure out how to have both our home offices in one little room. So, so that's what we're doing. Uh, but all is well. We're we're displaying no symptoms. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make that the the, the happy thought of the day. Uh, Very good. How how is it going out there? How's everything for you out there? Well, I'm working remotely at the at present. So, mm-hmm. so far, everything's good. The last time I went into the uh, to where I saw sick patients was on the 13th, and so or the 12th actually. So I'm actually at the 14 day point. So now I don't really need to worry about that. Very good. Um, and uh, I don't know when I'll get mobilized or if I'll get mobilized to be seeing sick patients. Uh, they're really trying to uh, limit that because I'm. I'm the oldest person in the research unit, so uh-huh. um, I fall into one of the more at-risk categories, so they're trying to keep me out of the clinic. I, I, I completely understand. I fall into one of those demographics myself, so I'm afraid to take out the garbage these days. Um, I, I think of you and your colleagues so much like that scene in Jaws 2, where Roy Scheider looks into the water, sees the dorsal fin there, and, 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 and you get that horrible shot, and he suddenly realizes, oh my God, it's happening again. Uh, now, now you two are on the front lines of the AIDS epidemic, and here you are. Oh my God, it's happening again! There's another shark in the water. Uh, uh, how 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 do you feel about all of this? What's I don't even know what question to ask so much of someone like you, except to say, how do you feel? What's going on? What's what what's the plan? What was your plan when uh, when the governor said, "Okay, we'll come back to work." <laughs> well. Th- that part is uh, is has a very different meaning for me now than it did then. Because in those days, I was in my twenties, I was invincible, and um, and there was no way I was going to say no. And uh, now, being uh, sixty six and um, having some health problems that might make me more at risk, makes me really. I'm not going to lie. I'm afraid. I'm much more afraid than I was in those days. Sure. And so uh, that's very different. Uh, what isn't different is uh, how Ellen and I have been ringing the bell about this since the book got published. And, of course, thinking about it even before that, that this country was not ready for this kind of a pandemic. And we knew that it was something was coming. We didn't know it was going to be like this, but we knew that something um, possibly, as I say, not on the magnitude of COVID-19, but we knew that there was going to be some sort of health crisis, and we are not prepared. Um, and it, uh, unfortunately, I, I hate to say I told you so, but um, it, we're being proven again and again that the systems are not in place for surge. Um, the systems are not in place for government support. And, um, and I'm pissed off about it. It's, 
how I feel. I, I certainly don't blame you. Uh, um, <laughs> when uh, when you say you, you, you knew this would happen again, why? Uh, uh, you say systems are not in place. That's we're, we're thinking, okay, if it happens, why did you think it would happen again? And uh, whether on this magnitude or not. I, I never anticipated that it would be something like this. But to keep in mind, I lived not only through the HIV pandemic in the early uh, 80s, the late 70s, the early 80s, and the 90s, um, but through the multidrug-resistant TB epidemic in New York in 1992 that lasted for 18 months or two years. I right. Can't remember so, how long it lasted. Right. So um, we were not prepared for that. Um, many people got sick and died who uh, didn't need to. And, um, you know, nobody had the equipment. Nobody even had N95s back in 1992. Mm -hmm. Only P3 labs, which are, you know, like biowarfare type labs, had the, that kind of protective equipment. And that's why so many people got exposed to the multidrug-resistant TB. But the most important thing to remember about the MDR-TB epidemic, which is very much at work here, is that the government abandoned the public health resources to stem that epidemic in the following way. In, in the early 80s, when Reagan was the president, he decided that they were not going to do the kind of support, not only for mental health, but for public health. And so the, the federal support of local departments of health, including New York City, were, um, their budgets were slashed dramatically. So let's say in New York, if you had 60 nurses or um, they had attendants as well, they were trained, you would call them nurses' aides, but they were case workers who would make sure that people took their anti-tuberculous medications and that they would take them for long enough to actually get cured, which is usually six months. Right. So that... They had about 60 personnel, and then when the budget slashes came in, in all five boroughs, it was down to three people. Three people. And then the other thing that happened was there was a tremendous decrease in the budget, federal budget support for mental health. And so lots of places where people who had mental illness, were where they were hospitalized, their budgets got slashed. Those people were quote-unquote warehouse, meaning that they were sent out to live in group homes, or for the most part, a lot of them were sent out to their regular homes, which they promptly lost because they were didn't take their meds and were uncoordinated enough to be able to pay rent and buy food and do laundry and do all of the things that people who um, have severe mental illness cannot cope with on their own. So they became what in New York was an epidemic, if you will, of mentally ill homeless people. Oh, my. So here we have um, a confluence of events. We have the HIV epidemic. We have an epidemic, if you will, of mentally ill homeless, and you have a lack of Department of Health oversight for um, a, a disease that has always been recognized as being a killer, tuberculosis. Sure. So what ended up happening was that people would get HIV, their immune systems would get suppressed, there were no effective medications, so now we have a, a core, core group of people with immune suppression for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Then we have a core group of people who have 
who are mentally ill and homeless. And we have no Department of Health personnel to oversee any kind of uh, making sure that people get their medicines and no help for these people. So I don't know if you were in New York in the 1980s, but yes. it looked the same way, yeah. where on every street corner there are three or four people who are begging for money. Yep. There are people screaming in the street. There are people off their uh, antipsychotics. And they're basically incapable of taking care of themselves because they're delusional or whatever. And, and of course, they're also not eating regularly. They're not get, having a safe, um, um, uh, safe place to sleep. And so, they're, so their nutrition is bad and they're not getting enough sleep. And so that is a perfect setup for infection. So what happened was is that people would get TB. They would get really sick, start coughing up blood, couldn't breathe. They'd go to the hospital. They would get tested for TB. They would get treated for the two weeks to make sure that their sputums were AFB negative, which is the test that allows you to send people out into the street again. Right. And they would be given a prescription for their medication, but there was no place to send them other than where they came from, which was the street. And do you <sighs> think those people are thinking about taking their TB medicines every day? The answer is no. And so without Department of Health uh, directly observed therapy, which used to be a standard of care prior to the 80s, those people took meds for two weeks and then fell off the map. When their TB got bad again, they would come back, get treated again for two weeks, and the same thing would happen. And two or three times of that, and the tuberculosis bacillus becomes starts to become resistant to the medications that the patient is being given. So when it was recognized and the people were hospitalized, then something could be done about it because there were second-line and third-line therapies. But what ended up happening under those circumstances is that those people cycled through that very quickly, and so then they developed a, a bacillus that was resistant to all known medications that we had. Oh my God. And that's where the MDRTB epidemic came from. And that came from the lack of social services for people who have mental illness, who have no way of making a living, and have no place to sleep and not adequate nutrition, and the complete gutting of the New York City Department of Health by lack of uh, federal funding, because uh, all of our departments of health are funded in part by the federal government. And um, so that's how this MDR-TB epidemic happened. So I knew it was going to happen in another way. I didn't know what it would be, but I said, this is just waiting to happen. As soon as they started gutting provisions for the Affordable Care Act and as soon as, soon as they started making restrictions on Medicaid, I knew that something was going to happen and that poor people and people without resources were going to get sick in some way and it was going to be an issue. And it certainly, certainly was. Oh, and also cutting, certainly cutting national health programs that has also been an, been an issue. Indeed. Luckily, in New York, we were, um, we were not, um, somehow, we've been managing to keep the Department of Health up and going. Um, I don't really know how that's been working, uh, financially or with federal funding, because I'm really sort of not in that, that's not my area of expertise. But I do know that the New York City Department of Health has responded very elegantly to the COVID-19. But what are you going to do if there's no money coming in? Thank there's you. No, I just, I just there's nothing that. coming in, and 
there is no support, not only are they not giving us the emergency ventilators, gloves, masks, gowns that are that are available that the feds actually are sitting on. They're not giving that to us, even though New York City is once again the epicenter of a pandemic. They are not addressing that issue. We're getting punished because uh, the leader of the federal government is angry at New York City. So now we're, the new people of New York City are going to be punished because, um, because uh, of the infantile response of the federal government. In addition to that, the infantile response of the Senate to refuse to agree to a, um, a, a budget that will allow New York State to be reimbursed for the enormous expenses there that are being incurred right now is it's callous and it is cowardly. And that's what I have to say about all Oh, that. my gosh. <laughs> uh, thank you. you. You can't see it, but I'm pale as a ghost right now. Um, uh, what you're saying uh, uh, and the way you're saying it, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy being a conspiracy theorist. I, I, I'm not one of those people that, that, that sits in their basement and, and, and hides from the world because of it. But uh, why does this sound like a plan? Is it that our government is, is arrogant? Not, no, no, no. This is not a conspiracy. This is being done openly and 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 obviously. And it is. I do not understand why people in the United States don't understand that New York is not only what it is culturally and in terms of diversity, but we also contribute a huge amount to the federal government in in terms of taxes, tax revenue. We make money here in New York. We contribute that money to the federal government. People in Wyoming who have one person per square mile are getting our, our money because there aren't enough people in Wyoming to fund the federal government. The money is coming from New York. So now when we're in trouble, they're saying, oh, well, too bad. It's New York. You're not going to get some money. They're gonna, you're going to get $3 billion instead of $17 billion, which PSPS is not even going to attempt to address the amount of money we've spent on COVID-19 so far. It, it's, it's the same plan that you were talking about from the 80s. Uh, that, that's why I'm asking this. <clears throat> is, this just, is, is this just being infantile? Now, you use the word infantile. Is this being infantile like they, they don't like us? Or, or is it a plan to really wipe out those who do not like them? Well, I would say that if this was back in the 80s, and, you're, and, and let's be real, we were talking about, uh, everybody said, well, this is a gay disease. It Thank you. Yes. Straight people. Right. So really, why should we care about them? It's good to get them off the face of the earth anyway. <laughs> right. Which was absolutely what was happening at the time. You know, I'm a gay woman myself. I heard this. Be, I, I passed for straight so people were very open and honest when they would talk about their contempt for homosexuality because they didn't know they were speaking to a homosexual when they said these things. And so I, you know, they were extremely open and blunt about their derision of people who are gay. And so they were perfectly happy to sacrifice us all. And, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we were human beings. Of course. <laughs> it was as though you could say, it, it, it's like, it's very similar to what that uh, lieutenant government governor in Texas said, that we sacrificed the 70-year-olds and above in order to maintain our, uh, our American way of life, in order to get the economy going. 
That's that's why I'm asking I'm this. There. It's it's like I'm starting to hear this. I want to sacrifice certain elements of society so I can still have money. Yeah. I've got news for you. The president is 70. My wife is 70. My, I'm 66. And I still think I have something to contribute to the world. Oh, hell yeah. And they're also saying that people who have chronic illnesses, who are paralyzed, or who have um, cystic fibrosis, oh, well, too bad. They're not going to get a ventilator if they need one because they're really already not useful members of society. And so is it coming down to that? So I don't call that a conspiracy because I think of a conspiracy as being done behind closed doors. Right, right. This is being, de- being done open and in public. So it is, you're right, less, less of a conspiracy and more of a war on people who are older or who have pre-existing conditions. And, uh, you know, uh, is that what America wants to be? Is that what we want to be? Uh, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. Why, so why does this sound like a really well-done science fiction version of the Nazis? Uh, uh, I, I let's let's cleanse the earth with, with a disease. Well, <laughs> I don't think that was anybody's intention, but uh, I, I think that people are selfish selfish in general, and um, Republicans have proven themselves to be, um, uh, what is the word? Um, It's really hard for me to describe one word for the kind of behavior that I've seen from the Republican members of the Senate and of the President of the United States, other than callous and cowardly. That's that's the thing. I'm wondering whether, oh my God, callous is not even the word for it. You're, you're so right. But uh, are they doing this out of their arrogance, just saying, well, you know, we don't like you, or are they saying, we don't want you here? It's a big difference between not answering somebody and killing them. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what people's motivations are. And in fact, I I really can't even focus on that because what we have to focus on is our own behavior. So how how are we going to behave during this epidemic? Um, Are we going to step up and do what we can? And I think the answer has to be for people of conscience, yes, you have to step up and do what you can do. I'm not saying that everybody has to rush out and try to take care of people who have COVID-19, but there are things that can be done and that can be done remotely. And among other things, staying home and being not being part of the contagion right. would be a very useful thing for people to do. And I think New Yorkers have definitely stepped up. I live in Manhattan, and you, you could uh, count the number of people I see at my window with less than one hand. People are not out and about, and the stores are pretty empty, and, um, uh, you know, I did laundry today, and the laundry room was empty. So I think people are doing what they can do to do the social distancing and to, and to try to uh, prevent from being, being part of the problem. So uh, I think that that just shows you what New York is made of. Oh, completely. And I also have to say, you know, there are, were a couple of other instances where New Yorkers showed who they really are. One of them was after 9-11, and, um, and the other was after Hurricane Sandy. And people who didn't have electricity or water got up and went to work every day after Hurricane Sandy. And people, people after 9-11 pulled together. Um, the day I, on, on September 12th, I walked up to 68th Street to go to work, and I had to pass the New York City blood bank, and there was a line around the corner of New Yorkers getting ready to give blood. Yeah. So there are, 
I could tell you dozens of stories like that, but since you're a New Yorker, I don't need to. But Completely. All I'm saying is, um, you know, I don't think they should be writing us off yet. There's the stereotype that we're all tough people, that we're all, you know, don't talk to a New Yorker, they're going to yell at you and all of that. Yeah, but we, and we are tough people. Oh, we're, we're very tough. tough. people, but we're also, uh, you know, tough means that even though you don't want to, you get up and go to work. And even though times are hard, you're going to stick together and that we are resilient. And that's, that's where people are tough. Yes, it, it, we, we don't punch you in the, we don't punch you in the mouth in, on the train just because you, you took our seat or something, but... But when the time comes, we're all warriors. And, and exactly. It's really, I think that's the reason people gravitate to New York. I think somewhere their inner warrior is saying, go where, go where the, 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 the clan is. Exactly. You saved me the lead-in of a question. I, when, I, when I spoke to Ellen, she, she illuminated me brilliantly on, on all the things we need to do, whether it's stay indoors or drink hot liquids or whatever for ourselves. Um, uh, and you advise aptly that as much as we're sitting in here, we have our computers, we have our phones, we have whatever, we need to get out there and make sure that other people are safe, even if it's just words of comfort. We need, we can't sit around and just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do nothing until it's over. No. How many people have smartphones? Do a FaceTime call to somebody so that they can see you and especially people who are on isolation or, or in the hospital in an, in an isolation room where the staff don't even want to come in. Do a FaceTime call so that they can see a face without a mask. That would be a great thing for many people. Um, some of the people who I know who are going into the rooms are saying, the patients want me to stay because they're lonely and they're terrified. And, of course, the staff can't really doesn't have time to stay in because people are run off their feet. So a FaceTime call would be very welcome from most by most people who are hospitalized. And, and that would probably help in people's recovery as well. Uh, uh, but, to to, uh, yeah. to raise their spirits. I really think that emotions and, um, if you will, happiness versus unhappiness has a direct effect on the immune system. And uh, and I saw this in a study that I did years and years ago that really was about it was about immune function, and it it was looking at a drug that turned out to be a complete waste of time. <laughs> but um, but the uh, the purpose of the study was to see whether the, the drug would actually help people's immune systems. And so to that end, we actually did a measurement called CD4 count, which is a marker of immune function. And, um, and what I found was is that my patients who had just fallen in love or were in a good relationship or had a, you know, a, a great opportunity in their work, their CD4 cells would go up, whereas if they had a breakup or a family member died or they were very sad, their CD4 went down. So nobody's ever actually ever done a proper study on this, and I think it would sort of be an interesting, although not not financially interesting <laughs> study. But I think that mood and happiness has a lot to do with immune function. And so I don't know if, whether this has ever happened to you if you have cold sores, but if you've ever been upset, really upset, like the death of a family member, it can actually bring on a cold sore because your immune system drops a little bit and the herpes virus, which is what cause, causes the cold sore, can come out. And so um, I think that really says it all. I totally agree with you that, that comfort and support during illness are very helpful because it really does stimulate the immune system to kick in and work harder. I think it stimulates everything. Um, I, I had a student once, uh, 
uh, I, I teach at, at uh, Kingsborough College in Brooklyn, and uh, I had a student once who walked into my class. I teach communication, and she walked into my class every day and says, I am going to fail my art class. Every day, every single day, that's that's what she said. And at one point, I, I she, it's, people were laughing or whatever because it was very funny when she would say it. She would come in screaming at the top of her lungs, good morning, I am going to fail my art class. Uh, and, and we all thought it was funny. And one day I said, you're a very smart girl. Why would you even think that? And, and she looked at me, and the face of sadness, I will never forget, she looked at me and said, I'm only smart in your class. And oh. and I realized it wasn't it wasn't that she was just better in communication. Maybe she was, but but it was like because I I I'd say something nice to her for heaven's sake, and it it it, it perked her up. It, it, to to just be cordial, to just to just take a moment with someone is 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 probably the is, is probably the greatest thing we can do. You know, we who are not qualified to to do much more. Uh, it, it's so much more to 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 a person just to say hello sometimes. Exactly. But we're all qualified to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, your your partner said something interesting. She said uh, uh, you were working on a protocol, and and she yeah. said you could illuminate me. Well, possibly illuminate me further on the on what that I is. Can't really. Uh, I I know that. Uh, what I could tell you is that there are multiple protocols that are being written or already have been activated. Uh, there are two, three. Two major candidate drugs that are standalone drugs, and then the, um, there is a combination therapy that is being proposed. That protocol is being written because things are proprietary. I can't reveal what they of are. Of course, of course. But, but um, uh, the first study, which is a study of a drug that I can reveal that was originally designed to treat Ebola, and they they didn't work for Ebola, but they happened to notice that it decreased the amount of coronavirus that was floating around. So they are now using that against coronavirus and people who have moderate disease. And they've actually completely filled up that study. So, uh -huh. um, so that means that they got going in a very short period of time. I can't begin to tell you how long research usually takes. But uh, I, I think they had a reason to speed up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, <clears throat> They yeah. they figured out how to drop the bureaucracy and drop a lot of the the what I would consider to be bullshit. If you'll forgive the expression, that's okay. But I but I, but I will say that they you know in research we still maintain the safeguards and protections for research participants. So none of that has been um, has been uh, eliminated. But they they were able to move these processes through and get these get these medications into the hospitals where research is being conducted. So um, we have all sorts of reasons to be optimistic. I, I can't tell you how the drugs are performing because I don't know. Right. I'm really still behind the scenes, like helping to figure out how labs get done and where things get sent and how regulatory stuff gets done uh, because I'm working from home. But there is all sorts of reasons to be optimistic. I was about to use the word optimistic, uh, if there were reasons. Um, uh, is, is speaking, uh, and I don't think this is an optimistic question on this level. Uh, uh, we're hearing two weeks. Okay, that's a great joke. Uh, we're hearing May. We're hearing June. We're hearing July. Uh, in, in your best guesstimation, when are we, when are we seeing the, this, and, and there's no way of it disappearing, when are we seeing you know, some semblance of normalcy again? Well, based on what happened in China, I would have to say um, May or June. June, um, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, I wouldn't say before that. And and if people stop doing social distancing, so try to remember what social distancing does and trying not to become infected now does. It's not so much a matter of is that going to eliminate COVID-19 from the population. It's not. What it's going to do, it's going to not expose people, so therefore we're not going to have everybody infected at the same time. And right. that, because that's what's overwhelming the healthcare system, is that everybody's getting sick at the same time. And when I say everybody, I'm not saying all 8 million of us, because not all 8 million of us are going to get infected. Right. But for those who are going to get infected, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a cynical way, but it would be better if it was spread out over time. So that's what social distancing will do. It will... It may stop, it may actually stop, completely stop the virus in its track. So that, huh. so that if it's not around anymore and everybody's cleaned up every, every surface and every reservoir has been depleted, it might stop it in its track. But it's going to come back. It's going to come back in the, as soon as we stop socially isolating and start traveling again, it will be back. And so the only hope is to get a vaccine up and running, zippity-zip, get this done as soon as possible. And um, and I know that people are feverishly working on that as well. I, I hear uh, I hear people saying, okay, well, over the summer, it, it'll, it, it, it could disappear, yeah, right, quote-unquote, uh, uh, because of the hot weather, uh, but it'll no, surge no, no, again no. in it's, September. Yes, well, that that's just based on a model of once social isolation stops and people start traveling again, it will come back. It's not that it's living hidden under your sink or anything. And it's also not going to go away based on the weather because this has occurred in Florida where it's already 90 degrees and people were on the beach in the sunshine and all of those, a lot of those people who were on the beach on the, in the sunshine still managed to give it to each other because you're not going to get it from lying on the sand. When the droplet hits the hot sand, that's going to kill it. Right. But people were standing up, talking with each other, laughing, coughing, carrying on. And it's a droplet of saliva or mucus that contains the tiny amounts of the virus. And if that lands on your lip or it lands on your hand and then you rub your eye or rub your nose or mouth, it's not really going to go in through your eye, but it's going to go in through your nose or mouth. Right. That's how you're, how you're going to get infected. So it goes from the, the mucous membrane of the infected person who m- might even be asymptomatic um, to the person who uh, is going to get that droplet on their hand and rub their, their mouth or their nose. And that's how, how it's going to get spread. And these, these models that they're showing you are showing social distancing, getting rid of the current pandemic in New York City. But as soon as we reopen New York to travel and all of that, and New Yorkers travel and people come in to go to shows and do all of that, they'll be bringing it back again, which is why the vaccine is so essential. Do you think, uh, sans vaccine, do you think uh, once we do go out there, we're expecting to see, even if it's a very minor surge, like if it's if it's down if it's down to to ten percent, it could shoot up to twenty percent. Just the moment we start living again, do you, do you foresee such you know, a thing? I don't really I don't really know the answer to that. Uh, that really is a statistical question, and I'm not confident to answer that. Hmm. So I wish I could, but I can't tell you. That's okay. Uh, 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 
you, you, I, my, the last question I asked, Ellen, uh, you've already answered in terms of, of the secrets that we need to do, and that's just simply to be kind and wonderful to each other, uh, uh, of which you have been immensely, uh, uh, at, this, at this point in your life, to, to jump back into this, you are indeed a superhero. And, and, and I, I, on behalf of, of my community and everyone's community, thank you so much for what you are doing now uh, and and me personally, thank you so much for for taking the time uh, uh, to speak to me on this. Um, uh, your your book is an amazing book, and I'm going to make sure people read it uh, and understand it and and realize uh, the brilliance of it as well as what you both are doing right now. Uh, uh, Miss Hughes, thank you so much for for taking the time with me right now. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, I appreciate it. my pleasure. I'm I'm letting you get back to work now. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you again, and 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 all the best to you, and 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 and, and just plain thank you. I, I'm 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 thank speechless. You. And stay well. <laughs> thank you. Same to you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Bye bye.